And welcome everybody to nwczradio.com channel one's down the rabbit hole. My name is Big D. And I'm Brandon. And it is fantastic to have everybody along. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Want to remind you, you can email us down the rh at protonmail.com. Down the rh at protonmail.com. And thanks to all the outlets, including our good buddies over there at Friends Radio Network for carrying the big show. This week, we are going to dive into a music topic, but we have a little bit of a different take on this because Brandon and I were both at ground zero when this all went down. Yes. So why don't you first tell maybe where you were or how involved you were? Had you seen Nirvana? Because what we're talking about today is Kurt Cobain's death. And yep. Was it a suicide was it a murder? Was it something else? But we were both there, and I was pretty involved in the music scene. And where were you, and how, how did you relate to it? I mean, in 94, because I, I graduated in 96, so I was, what, 16? Yeah, 16. 16 when he died. Um I was, I mean, I was pretty big in the music scene at that time. Even, you know, at 16, I was going to all the, you know, to uh, the OK Hotel, I was going to, you know, um, the underground, all the different places, you know, in Seattle, going to a bunch, seeing a lot of the local the local shows. In all reality, I had seen Nirvana, but they were not one of my, they weren't one of my favorites. I mean, I'd seen them, and the only reason I saw them was because I went to go see Helmet, and Helmet opened for them. Helmet was, and great. I was a huge fan of Helmet. They're a great band. So I went to go see Helmet. So I, I saw Nirvana. And I'll be honest, I, I was not, I, I still wasn't that impressed. I, I was never, I've never been a huge Nirvana fan. Um, it's one of those things I won't, I'm not going to turn them off when they come on the radio. I'm not going to like change the channel. It's not like I, I hate them and I don't like them, but I'm not going to go buy their album, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. I was deeply involved in the local music scene at the time. I'm not going to go into just exactly who I knew, but it's a lot of people who are very famous today. I used to play football on Sundays with a lot of guys from Pearl Jam, mm -hmm. from uh, Mookie Blaylock, from uh, Allison Chain, Soundgarden. They were just guys. You have to remember. Yeah. And that was, er that was obviously earlier th because Nirvana, by the time when C Cobain died, they were huge. So we, we saw the evolution. I saw them kind of like, they, but they came out of nowhere, and that's what a lot of people don't realize either. They were kind of like we'd heard of them in the, the Seattle scene, but I'd, I I was more like Green River, uh, you know, like I said, Mookie Blaylock, who eventually became Pearl Jam. Um, there were so many other, others. Temple the Melvins, of the Dog. Temple of the Dog, you know, all these other bands that I was really following, and then all of a sudden it was like Nirvana hit, and they're like, this is the Seattle scene, and we we're like, who are these guys? Well, there was Sky Cries Mary going on pretty oh. big at the time. There mm -hmm. were a lot of bands that were... Mud Honey. Yeah, there were a lot of bands in Seattle that were big who never broke out. No. And when Nirvana hit, we I mean, I had seen them. I knew yeah. people that played. They played in Tacoma. They played around. I, I knew a lot of bands who played on bills with them that's how i saw them and i'm with you look don't hate us but there's a lot of people in seattle who scratched their head over nirvana because in my opinion 
Um, Allison Chains was way better. Yes. And you had Grunt Truck, and you had the Screaming Cheetah Wheelies, and there were some really amazing bands in one Seattle. One of my favorite during that time was Mud Honey. Mud Honey was one of my favorites. Screaming and, Trees were great. Yeah. When all of a sudden Nirvana hit, it was like, but even a lot of people say even for them it was that way. They were yeah. just like, how how did what? Because they put out Nevermind, and it just exploded. That's the only Nirvana, and it was a cassette, music that I've ever owned was mm-hmm. Nevermind. And there were, in my opinion, only two good songs. Mm-hmm. And after that, even before it and after that, I, I could care less. I was not a Nirvana fan. I wasn't either. I, I was, like I said, Mud Honey. I mean, the Melvins even. Oh, you know, yeah. oh the Melvins were legendary. The Melvins were legendary. And what a lot of people don't know, too, is Kurt Cobain went to school with one of the guys from the Melvins. Well, he was a huge proponent of the, Mel- of the Melvins. Oh, yeah. He I'm was. I'm looking at an autographed CD right now of the Melvins because I interviewed that band. Yeah. And I mean, and it's one of those things, I'm not saying he wasn't a great artist. I mean, it's one of those things, I mean, going back, and I'll be, I'll be honest, going through and doing the research on this, I have a much bigger appreciation of Nirvana and who they were. But like I said, when when you were here, everyone always thinks that Nirvana was this big thing that Seattle was hiding, and then suddenly the world found out. We found out about Nirvana at the same time the world did. Pretty much. Like we kind of heard of them. They were like, you know, one of those bands that was local bands that was floating around that we all kind of heard of. But when all of a sudden they blew big, we're all like, what? Well, th- this is how this, this is how th- this will illustrate how Seattle wasn't sure, like who was what. I went to a show one time. It was put on by Sub Pop and a couple of other of the indie labels, and it was at the Moore Theater. And for those of you who don't know, the Moore Theater is in downtown Seattle. It's an old theater, and it probably holds, I don't know, man, like maybe three or 4,000? Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's a it's nice-sized venue, but it's old. And anyway, it was a showcase, and they had Pearl Jam, and they had Nirvana, and they had Mud Honey, and they had Girl Trouble, and it was, it was something something called like Seattle Big Seven or something. And it was these bands that were potentially going to go somewhere, but nobody was quite sure who or even where. And you look back on that, and that would never happen again. No, because the, the all of them, with the exception, I think, of Girl Trouble and maybe one of the other bands on the bill, they all got huge. Mm-hmm. I was living on Capitol Hill at the time, so I was kind of at ground zero. A lot of those guys lived on Capitol Hill. Lane Staley lived down the road. Kurt Cobain lived about, I don't know, half a mile from me. I knew. And by the way, the Moore holds 1,800. The Moore holds 18? 1,800. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I just looked it up real quick because I was kind of curious. Yeah. 1,800. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was sold out. It was packed, but it was more. It was. It was just a showcase. Yeah. You know, I mean, that would, if that were to happen, a flash forward, you know, whatever, five years from the date that happened, that would have sold out probably, you know, Key Arena or whatever they're calling it now. Yeah. You know, it would have sold out Climate Pledge Arena. Yeah, easily. And I mean, they were, I mean, every one of those bands, I mean, was one of those things we didn't know what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden when it did, most of us were shocked that it was Nirvana was the one to go. We all thought it would have been Mud Honey or, you know, one of those other bands that would have hit first. 
Oh yeah. But the hard, the hard part was is a lot of us. I mean, and I know I get people get so mad at me when I say this. Nirvana ruined Seattle. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and they it ruined it. Hold Seattle. And, and it's one of those things. And, and it's one of those. I was talking to a friend about this, and I feel like I've had a very negative idea against Nirvana because of this for years. Because I'm like, they ruined Seattle music. But they didn't do it on purpose. They just wanted to play music, and that's one thing. Once I really like look at like looked into this, I'm like, they just wanted to play music. They just happened to be the band that hit big. But after they hit big, we had a huge before that, huge melting pot of different styles of music in Seattle, and it was oh, amazing. Yeah. And after they hit, everybody just became another Nirvana. Well, this was the beauty of Seattle before Nirvana. There were lots of different venues you had rock candy you had the sit and spin you had the ballard firehouse you had under the rail you had the fun house and they all had specific genres to that mm -hmm. venue so if i went to rock candy i knew i was going to get hard rock music if i went to the sit and spin i was going to get sort of pop singer songwriter and that's the way it was but once nirvana hit it was kind of like when Stevie Ray Vaughan hit big in Austin. Everybody became a blues player in Austin. Well, in Seattle, everybody became a grunge. Yeah. And they were all looking for the next big contract. In fact, what, actually what I think killed the Seattle scene was, um, in my opinion, Candlebox is the one who killed music in Seattle because nobody had heard of Candlebox. Candlebox... Yeah relocated to Seattle for a day, signed with Madonna's label, went on tour, told everybody along the way that they were from Seattle. And at the end of their so-called tour, they were having a homecoming in Seattle and everyone was scratching their heads going, who? Nobody knew who they were. And that was it. I can remember, cause I can remember when they hit it big and all of a sudden they were like, you know, Candlebox, the Seattle band Candlebox. And all of us are like, who? Yeah. And it was, it, it was just made up. It was fake. Yeah. And, but they still say they're from Seattle. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people think Eddie Vedder's from Seattle, and he moved up from San Diego. Mm -hmm. I remember specifically one Sunday playing football with all these guys, and they introduced me to their friend Ed, and it was Eddie Vedder. Yep. And also... Um, who's the other one that, uh, well, you know, Dave Grohl's not from here and he wasn't even Nirvana's original drummer. Nope. He's in bleach. It was, Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. There was a different drummer for bleach. And um, then it was Dave Grohl came in, uh, for nevermind. So let's get into this event that happened that literally rocked the world because Cobain became a member of the 27 club. It was, mm -hmm. I could tell you a long story about the, I think it was an electrician who showed up at the house who called a radio station. He was the first one to discover it. And the radio, and I know the two disc jockeys, like I know them personally, who were on the air that day. The guy kept calling the station and telling the secretary, I have huge news, put me through to so-and-so. I'm not going to say his name put me through to so-and-so she kept hanging up on him he kept calling she finally passed him through and when he told the disc jockey Kurt, Kurt Cobain is dead I'm standing right here looking at him they had to make a decision because they were checking all the wires there was no internet back then there was no cell phones yeah or if there were it was like you know just your 
basic cell phone. And they were checking the wires. Check, they, they were scared to make the call as to whether or not they should go through with this story. And they rolled the dice and they announced it. And they were the first ones in the world to announce that Kurt Cobain. And they did. They put a caveat on it. We're getting reports that yeah. Kurt Cobain has been found dead. And then it turned out to be true. So it was a day that lives in infamy. It was April 8th. April 5th is when they think he died. April 8th was when they found the body. Right. So April 5th was when they think he shot himself. Yes. But I also remember the big vid or whatever. It wasn't a vigil, really. It was a gathering mm-hmm. at Seattle Center. Courtney Love showed up. A lot of people were there. And it cast a huge cloud. Not that we didn't have a lot of clouds anyway, but an even bigger, darker cloud over Seattle. And I don't know if you remember this, but there were several of his fans who shortly after committed suicide by rewriting his note. Yeah, I think it was a 68 was the number that I saw. It was 68 uh, copycat. That's really sad, in my opinion. It it is. Um, It it is very sad. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, a lot of people point out and there's a lot of things that I read and a lot of articles where they talk about like – he was the poster child, really. I mean, for the Gen X, you know, the the moody, but not really moody, just depressed. I mean, us Gen Xers, we kind of raised ourselves, you know. But he was, like I said, going through, I, I have a completely different view on him after really going through and seeing who he was, what he was, um, and everything else. Uh, but I remember, I remember where I was. I was sitting in my living room with a couple friends, and my mom walked in and said, hey, did you hear, or, you know, I just heard on the radio that they found, you know, a body at Kurt Cobain's house. And then it was about five or ten minutes later that all of a sudden she comes in and says, yeah, they just confirmed it's him. So, right. Well, and I had a close relative, I'll just say, it was an in-law, who was working for the King County prosecutors at that time. I'm not going to name him either. He's the one who told me on the side that there were several different theories going around that, that suicide was obviously what was being talked about and mentioned and probably going to be filed. But there was also some suspicion that something else may have been going on. Yeah. And that's what we're going to get into. So let's go through the timeline and then we're, and we'll talk about some of the different theories some of the different discrepancies in the stories. And when we get to the end of it, we'll give our assessment as to what we think happened. I don't know that we're ever going to know the truth, but let's see what's out there. Yeah. So let's start with March 26, 1994. This is when all things were going on. According to a lot of, I'll just say articles and rumblings at this point, Courtney and Kurt, they're not getting along very well. Kurt didn't want to tour anymore. He didn't want to perform anymore. He felt like he was being puppeted. He wasn't comfortable with this. And he had just turned down a almost $10 million contract to headline one of the Lollapalooza tours, which very popular at the time. Yeah. He's big time into drugs. Courtney had put together this sort of tough love intervention On March 26th, Courtney left Seattle, and she went to Beverly Hills. On March 30th, 
Kurt and his best friend Dylan Carson purchased a shotgun. Kurt told Dylan he was afraid of intruders at the house. Now, this I can believe because if you have ever been or seen a photo of the house that he and Courtney were living in, as you're looking at the house, if you're standing in front of it, looking at it, it was gated, but to the left of it was this park. It went up this hill, so you could walk up this hill in this park and look right down and practically jump down into his compound. It was a nice house. It wasn't like a huge mansion or anything. A lot of people think he had this massive house, and and it was a very nice house. And it had a gate in front of it. It had a gate around it, but it, it was not hard to get into this. And apparently others had jumped in or had, you know, attempted to get in, and he was getting a little paranoid about that well and see and he was it's one of those things from a lot of things i read he was a huge like second amendment guy yes um he was a big second amendment guy um and he had multiple guns but because in the weeks prior to all this happening uh courtney had gone nutso which sounds like she did a lot a lot um and had called the police saying that he had locked himself in a room and was threatening suicide so they showed up, and basically from everything that I saw in the police reports on that, the police officer was like, yeah, this didn't happen. She's out of her dang mind. But because there was a call, they confiscated all of his guns. Right. This is why so, he went out and bought this 20-gauge. And he went out and bought the 20-gauge, and he had his friend Dylan go with him and had it put in Dylan's name because he was afraid if he put it in his name that the police would take that one as well. Right. And or Courtney would find out. Yeah. And so that's why a lot of people are like, well, why did he do all Well, that's why. Because it was, you know, there was, there was a whole lot of backstory there on why it was in Dylan's name. Right. And so also on March 30th, he left Seattle to go to this rehab center in Marina Del Rey, California. Mm-hmm. April 1st now, 13 phone calls were made to Kurt's rehab center from Courtney's hotel room at the Peninsula. Most of these calls are to the patient's pay phone. Courtney later told a detective that she only talked to Kurt once that day. That evening, Kurt left the rehab center. At 8.47 p.m., he called the Peninsula Hotel and left a message for Courtney. And the message on the hotel log reads this. Elizabeth's phone number is, and then there's a phone number. Courtney never mentioned this message to the media. It doesn't appear to be a message from a person who is, quote, suicidal, according to this detective. So, Kurt had enough of rehab. He leaves and calls Courtney and leaves a message for her saying, hey, this is, this is this person's phone number. Now, we don't know why. We assume that it's because he was with her or he was staying at her house, but nobody really knows. Yeah. Kurt arrived in Seattle early Saturday morning, which is April, April 2nd, and was taken to his house on Lake Washington by a hired driver. Saturday night, Courtney had a friend give a story to the Associated Press that she had overdosed on drugs and was in the hospital. And that's a fact. She did do that. Yeah. And a lot of people, and even she, can't quite figure out why, although she claimed later it was for publicity because she had an album coming out and that you know bad publicity is good publicity and she was just setting up album sales. Yeah, publicity is publicity. And I mean, that was one of the things that, you know, it's not as so much now as it used to be, but it used to be pretty much if you, you've even bad publicity meant your name was in the news. Yeah, I've got interview recordings with her saying that very thing. Yeah. She's a horrible human being. I've known 
lots of people who have worked around her, and I personally know a gal who was one of her backup singers, and I could give you stories about what an awful person. In fact, Courtney stole this gal's book because she's the gal that I know is in other bands, and she sued Courtney and won. It's an undisclosed amount. I'm not going to get into it, but Courtney's a, a horrible person, and a lot of people believe that Kurt wrote pretty much all of Hole's most successful stuff. There's a lot of people that, that believe. I read some of that. So um, I did. I met another uh, a member. I believe she was one of the guitarists for uh, not all the time, but at times for uh, Hole Courtney for yeah for Hole. Um, and she became. I I interviewed her when I interviewed uh, the band The Menstrators, and she was the guitarist for The Menstrators. So and she'd done work with Courtney. So. Well, Courtney, talk- she burned every bridge in Seattle you can possibly burn. Yes. Nobody and then would work- some that you can't. <laughs> yeah, nobody would work with her. Everyone was sick of her. She had to leave Seattle. And it's one of those things that's actually kind of funny. And, I mean, you know, I, take it with you. I actually preferred their music over Nirvana's. <laughs> I, 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 I enjoyed I couldn't stand Hole. them. I enjoyed Hole more than I enjoyed Nirvana. So this was according to another investigator, April 3rd. Courtney calls this investigator's office in Beverly Hills, and she told me that someone was using her husband's credit card, and she wanted this investigator to try to find out who it was. This investigator met with Courtney at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills, and she says, quote, if you leak this to the press, I'll sue the F out of you. Courtney told the investigators that Cobain just left the drug rehab, that she had lied to the credit card company and had his card canceled. And she wanted us to call the credit card company and find out what the attempted activities were on his canceled card. And it is true. She did cancel this card. But he had another one because yes, he, she canceled, he had another one that wasn't canceled because that's the one that he was using. Right. And, and she, so she lied about this because she told them yeah. that he only had one credit card and that without that one card, he had no like zero access to money. Yeah. According to her, she said Kurt didn't have any friends or anyone else that might loan him money. And Which is complete crap. She also said this guy can't even can't even catch an effing cab by himself. This is all Courtney talking about her husband. Yeah, and it's one of those things when it comes to friends. He had so many friends here in Seattle, um, so many different people that would have helped him. I mean, yeah, and I mean he had another credit card because it's shown that once he got to Seattle, he was buying stuff with that credit card with a different credit card that he had on him. And that's the one that later on we'll probably talk, we'll talk about the fact that it was used hour within hours of him being fine, found possibly. possibly. But the one thing we got to remember too, is it was 1994 credit card transactions didn't go through immediately. And talking to these investigators, she brought up a fact that they had a prenuptial agreement, but she said her names on all the houses and assets. And I thought this was interesting. She said she didn't know for sure where Kurt was. She said he might be in Seattle or he may have flown back east to stay with Michael Stipe, of course, from R.E.M. She failed to mention initially that Kurt had been seen at their Lake Washington house on Saturday morning, April 2nd, by a guy named Michael DeWitt, the male nanny who was living at the Cobain residence. Who was Courtney's (laughs) ex-boyfriend. I know. (laughs) So there's a lot of really weird 
weird twists and turns to this story. Like the whole time I'm like, wait, what? You know, I mean, you don't know how many times I just kind of had to stop for a minute and like step away for a second to like wrap my head around something I just read or saw like what? Yeah. So their nanny, their living nanny was her ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And of course, Cobain's gone all the time and or high all the time because he's a mm-hmm. he's a huge heroin addict and he's, he's doing all kind of like heavy, heavy drugs and staying sedated. Yeah. Which they, they believe. I mean, he used the excuse that he had a horrible stomach ailment and that's what he was using the heroin mm-hmm. to deal with the pain. But then there's also reports from uh, the guy that he went to school with from the Melvins who he told him, like, no, it's just an excuse so I can use heroin and people feel pity for me. Well, even Kurt Novoselic said he remembers the first time Cobain called him and said that he had started using heroin. And Kurt told him, yeah, don't you probably shouldn't do that because, you know, once you start, it's really tough. And he wishes now he had come down a little harder on him. Yeah. But at that time, well, I mean, we know it killed Lane Staley. It killed Shannon Hoon. And it was very popular, that drug, yes. in the Seattle music scene. Don't let anybody fool you. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. So Wednesday, April 6th, we have Kurt still hasn't been located. Courtney's still at this hotel. The investigator's saying, why don't you go to Seattle? Why don't you? Because this is where they think Cobain has ended up, and they've seen sights of him. And she says, I can't. I have business I have to take care of here. Well, because yeah, her album came out the Tuesday. I think it was the Tuesday after the, his body was found. Right. And a lot of people are surprised too that, that when you mentioned the the uh, the pre uh, the prenuptials, that was her that was her suggestion. Because if you read a lot of the stuff and a lot of the interviews, she was dead set believed that she was going to be the superstar. She was going to be bigger and better than Kurt, and she didn't want him to take her money. Well, she had convinced him of that as well. Yeah. If you read a lot of his stuff that he wrote about her, he thought she hung the moon and that she was saving him and mm-hmm. that she was like this angel and amazing talent on earth that was gr- gracing him with her presence. And I found a lot of things where a lot of men, when they first met her and started dating her, they had that whole idea about her. But then like the more they spent time with her, the more the word abrasive came up. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where Kurt was at that point. So they're still looking for Kurt. They're asking around. There's rumors that he may have gone to his mom's house in Aberdeen. That was scratched because apparently they didn't get along very well. So there, a lot of things are going on. And Courtney seems pretty okay with not being very involved with it, which uh, alarms a lot of people at this point. Tuesday morning, April 7th, they, uh, they're at the, the Lake Washington house. This is the detective. And he's waiting in the car while this guy, Dylan, who is a friend, walked up alone to the house. They didn't want to alert Kurt to his presence because they were actually trying to get Kurt to take him back to Courtney because that's what he's been hired to do. Yeah. It says, upon returning to the Lake Washington house, we gained access through an unlocked kitchen window. While we were searching the house, Dylan commented, I've never seen the house this clean before. Television was still on in one of the bedrooms upstairs, and the bed was unmade. They did not find Kurt. No. However, 
Dylan didn't tell this uh, investigator about this room above the garage. Now that that whole thing's gone, but I do remember that being there. It was it it was a garage that had sort of like a almost like a greenhouse roof mm -hmm. on on it. They well, used to hang out up there and practice music, and a lot of people would sit on the hill, like I said, in this park next door, and listen because you could hear it. Yeah. And a lot of people say, too, that it was kind of one of those things. And this is the part that really got me in a lot of this. There's a lot of things where you're like, why didn't they do this? Why didn't all these people were high? Yeah. The only person who wasn't high was the investigator. So when you're talking about, you know, his friend not telling him about what's upstairs, it's like he probably forgot it was there. He probably didn't even think about it. And a lot of people said that if you didn't know it was there and the night that they went there, it was dark and it was raining. Because it's always raining in Seattle. Yep. Um, so it's tough to see it. Even if you knew it was there, it was tough to see it, you know, when it was raining and light and, you know, Well, if there was no out. light in it, yes. like there was no light on inside of it. You wouldn't see it. No, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know it was there unless you happened to know it was there. Yeah. So the fact that they didn't see it that first time, that there's multiple one. I mean, he didn't know it was there, so he wouldn't have seen it. But the, you know, the friend should have known it was there, but. He was probably so high he had no clue. So Friday morning, April 8th, is when Kurt is found. And according to this investigator, they were on their way out to this uh, Carnation property, which is another place they thought Kurt may be hanging out. For those of you who don't know Washington at all, Carnation is this kind of dairy farm, farmland, kind of southeast of Seattle. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing now there is, but at that time there was nothing out there but dairy farms, farmland. Yeah. And apparently they had a cabin or some friends had a place out there that they would go hang out at at sometimes. So anyway, it breaks that Cobain's found. And I thought this was interesting. This is the detective or the uh, investigator. He says, later we heard on the radio that Kurt's body was found in the quote greenhouse. I turned to Dylan and asked, quote, what's the greenhouse? And Dylan told me it was a room above the garage. He said, why didn't we look there? And then the re Dylan replied, it's just a dirty little room. I think they kept lumber in there or something, which is kind of hilarious because yeah. <laughs> Cobain, Cobain didn't even know how to use a hammer. No. It was pretty well known in the community that that's where they would go and jam and shoot up and write stuff. You know, they didn't really do it in the house much. That was sort of their, kind of like their clubhouse. Yeah, it was like their man cave, basically. basically. And the one thing is, too, is there was another one, too, the day before they found his body. Because they'd gone there the one time, looked around, and then they came back the next day because Courtney said to go check be in, in a special, in a, a hidey spot that they had in the, the uh, their closet for the shotgun. Right. And when they went back, they found a note from Callie, who's the, that was the nickname of the guy that was the, the nanny and whatever. I mean, just what you want for a nanny or your ex-boyfriend that's a heroin addict. But They were all, they, um, they were all heroin addicts. Yeah. So, and there was a note from him saying something about Kurt. Why, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you tell me you'd come back to the house? And a whole big thing that, you know, call Courtney. She's, you know, upset. She had another accident this morning, which meant she was, you know basically it overdosed but i mean so there was a whole thing there too that's weird like you saw him callie 
What do you mean? You you told Courtney you'd seen him. Why are you writing this note? So that's another one of those weird. But then other people think, too, that he wrote the note because Tom and Dylan had been in there and had moved things around. And they think maybe that's what the note was about. There's a lot of weird things in there when you're going through the timeline. Like you said, both of these people were high. Yeah. So they're acting irrational. And so it's hard to decipher whether they were acting irrational because they were trying to cover something up or because they knew something or because they were just irrational from the drugs. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things. I mean, I saw a couple of videos where they showed videos of like, you know, Kurt and um, Courtney high as hell and together. And I mean, even no oblivious to anything happening around them. And that's one thing that amazes me because once we get really more in the timeline, everybody had been in that house at different times when Kurt was dead. Yeah, I mean, they were basically the modern, well, it's not even modern anymore, but they were a repeat of Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Uh, I did find this interesting as, as well. They learned that Cobain had been dead for two days or more and that somebody had been trying to use his missing credit card since the time he left L.A. and returned to Seattle. Someone also attempted to use the same card after he died. Well, so within, that's the word- so that, But there's, there's discrepancy there. Yes. Because was he dead three days, two days? Did Cobain go try to attempt to use the card and then come back and, and commit suicide and or get killed? Or some people think it may have been Callie. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But then the other thing, too, is you got to remember it was 1994, where now, I mean, if I use my credit card, I can look at my bank account two minutes later and it shows and there also weren't cameras at every yeah. counter or you know on yeah. every street and, in, and back in 1994 it's very likely he could have used it three days ago and then it and came it, through it just came through on his card so that's the hard part where people are like oh it came he has a charge on his card like two hours before before they found the body and it's like yeah but I mean, it could have been one of the, like, I remember where you, they give the card and they use the little, like, carbon copy, like, yeah scrape of your card, and that's how you made your payment, and it would show up, like, a week later. Well, there was a time when you went and bought gas, if you used your credit card, they would put a $200 hold yeah. on your account for a day or so until that charge went through, and then they would release the rest, which yeah. caused a lot of consternation for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, this detective... He called Seattle homicide detectives to try to tell them that something was wrong. This is what the detective told the investigator, that Kurt was locked in the room by himself. He said the door was locked from the inside and the fire department had to break a window on the door to get in. Inferring that Cobain had had to have been alone in the greenhouse when he died. This investigator spoke to Courtney on the phone that afternoon. According to him, she wasn't all upset that we had found Kurt. She acted as though Kurt died in the night before. And if so, could we have saved him if we found him time? But she wasn't angry at all. And Courtney tried to get this uh, investigator to talk to the press. He said he didn't want to say anything until he found out what more was happening. And that's when she got upset. She got upset that he wouldn't go to the press and make statements on her behalf. Yeah. And there's a lot of weird stuff like that, though. But the one thing I did hear about the room was, and it was kind of the Tom guy that said it, the the investigator, that, yeah, it does look like, you know, everything was locked from the inside. 
but the door was the type that you could have locked it from the outside with a key. Also, I believe if the picture that I saw was correct, it was one of those that has the little turn knobs on the inside that you can turn mm -hmm. it and then close the door. Yeah. Right? So you could yeah. lock it from the inside. You could go in and then lock it, close the door, and it appears to be locked from the outside. Yes. So there's that uh, discrepancy. Now, we have several scenarios here, and we don't have a lot of time to go through them all. We may have to do a part two on this, but there's the theory of the gun and the bullets because he had a 20-gauge, and if you've ever seen a picture of this 20-gauge, and I have a 20-gauge shotgun, and this one is longer than mine. It was a quite a long rifle. Yeah, and, and I've seen them. I mean, you can look them up. There, there's pictures that you know you can look up right now that show the the current like you know because they re went back through it a couple of years ago and there's pictures of the guy holding the holding it and it's a lot bigger than i thought it was yeah and the initial report and the official report from the SPD is that Kurt was either sitting on the floor possibly kneeling on the floor but most likely sitting on the floor when he put the gun in his mouth, and fired it. Now, if you see this gun, I think you'd have a hard time standing up and holding that trigger, especially given how high he was. He had three times lethal dose of heroin in his system. Yeah. Now, what we don't know is, did he inject it all and then shoot himself and then it metastasized into his system, or... Was he sitting there high out of his mind because he had it all in his system and then decided to do this? Nobody knows that. And they don't. And the hard thing is, too, there's a bunch of stuff where I've, I read stuff where they tried, like, almost trying to recreate, like, that much in your system and whether you could function. But everyone that they've done, they did it in a way that didn't fit the same scenario. They're like, oh, yeah, you could do this. But then they had one where it wasn't heroin, it was morphine, and he ingested it, not injected it. They had another one where they had a bunch of people like in Sweden shoot up and said, hey, take as much as you want. We'll see what happens. But they had him do it over like over the day. So and it was more than Kurt Cobain had supposedly taken, but it was over the day where Kurt Cobain would have taken it in one shot. That's the theory. Nobody That's really the knows. Theory. We don't really know. But he could have been doing it all day. It could have been one of those things. He could have been sitting there and all day, and that would explain, you know, one of the things with the note, why the note looks different. And he had a high tolerance. Yes. He, was, he had been doing it for quite some time, and he could tolerate quite a bit. Yeah, let's talk about the suicide note. So there was a suicide note along with what I find to be uh, an interesting array of items for a guy who had a ton of money and was living in a pretty nice place there was like a golf towel a, like a cigar box a wad of like some fives some shades a lighter cigarettes um, well one thing that they said too a lot of things that I, I from a lot of people that interviewed and they talked about him he was not a very materialistic person no, he was a minimalist he was a very much a minimalist um, basically it was like one of the things I was like interviews they were talking about, like he was doing like $400 a day in heroin, which is a lot of freaking heroin, which would mean that he has a huge tolerance. But other than that, he really didn't need money. 
most of the stuff that they had, the nice house, all of that stuff, that was Courtney. That wasn't Kurt. Oh, yeah. She's the one who hired the bodyguard. She's the one, like you said, who hired the nanny. She's the one who hired, who, who was spending lots of money. And her, her habit was even more than his because she was doing lots of different kind of drugs. Yeah. So in the note, if you read the note, and I'm not going to read it. It's a long note. But it was a handwritten note. He goes through a lot of different thoughts and it's not hard to find just look it up Cobain suicide note if you really want to read it the interesting thing is and what a lot of people point to as problematic is there's basically three writing styles and there's in my opinion there's actually two distinct different writing styles so there's the first one which is the body of the note and then he signs it and then at the after his signature there's some added text. Yes. Actually, in the body of the note, he never says, I'm killing myself. He does make reference to, it's probably better if I'm not here. And that could be interpreted many ways because a lot of people believe he was actually writing this note to leave music and to leave Courtney and he was just going to disappear. And he wasn't actually trying to kill himself. He was writing a goodbye note. But I think... just in my opinion, I think if he was doing that much heroin, he probably pre-wrote some of it, sat there and thought, and then added to it, and as the heroin, I guess whatever, took hold, his writing style changed, and he added the end. And I can have that. I had the same thought. I think it was one of those things that it was, which is what a lot of people have said, you know, is one of those things, because handwriting experts... They go back and forth, depending on which one you look at. Some of them say, no, it's two completely different people. Others are like, no, it's the same person, just in different levels of inebriation. And I think that's what it is. Because if you look at the note, because I'm looking at it right now, and you can see how how it changes throughout in a couple places. A little bit. It's just a much bigger change at the end, which I think that's when he he took a nice good shot. And it was nice and, and messed up when he wrote the last part. But there are some problems with the gun because there are a lack of fingerprints. Well, I saw that too, but there was a lot of things that I, I was reading. One, it, they didn't check for prints for like a month. That I was going to bring. Yeah, that's a, look, there's no doubt about it. Whether he was murdered or committed suicide, the SPD, Seattle Police Department, and the detectives completely botched this thing. Oh, they did. From it's head, like we were from talking the, about from start to yeah. current. They walked in and immediately, I mean, before anything, they're like suicide. No investigation. I mean, they said it was suicide off the bat. There's stuff that I saw from like the medical examiner that said when he walked in, they already said suicide. The spokesperson for the SPD had already walked out to the press who was gathering and said this was a suicide. Mm-hmm. That is against all protocol. There had been no investigation. They, hadn't even, they had barely just roped it off. And like you said, the coroner hadn't even shown up. Yeah. And they were already saying suicide, which it's one of those things that it taints the evidence. Because once, you, once they've come out and said, hey, this is, the, this is our conclusion, now you're pretty much from that point on, you're gathering evidence to prove your conclusion that you've already made, which is not the way it's supposed to happen. Well, and then we also have this. There, is, there was a charge that this guy, his name is Eldon, and I believe it's Hoke. Yeah. 
It's H-O-K-E. And they also, called him El Duque. Yeah, El Duque. Or El Duque, I think, yeah. He was ex-lead singer for this band called The Mentors, and they were a punk band. Have you listened to any of the music? They're, oh, it's awful, dude. It's bad. Donkey Dick? I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, he was depra- he was a pretty depraved individual. Yeah. The, the song Donkey Dick, the whole time I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Yeah, I don't recommend anybody go no. look that up and listen to it. It's not it's the greatest bad. stuff. And he claimed that he was offered $50,000 to kill Kurt Cobain. Now, that in itself isn't weird because you're going to get that kind of stuff. What is weird, though, is that not long after, and I'm, I'm talking about within days of him coming out with this, he was hit by a train mm-hmm. and killed. He did pass a lie detector test, though. Somebody gave him a lie detector, uh, and he was asked directly if he had received the offer. Two days after that interview, he was run over by a train near his home without any eyewitnesses. Yeah. And it's one of those weird things, too, because in the one interview, he mentions, he says the name Alan. And a lot of people think that it was that, you know, there's witnesses that say the night he died that someone named Alan who was a part of the scene, and I can't remember. I, I think someone said his last name, but I, I couldn't find it again afterwards. That someone, that witnesses said they saw Alan and him talking, and they left together, and then he was dead a couple hours later. So, and he passed the lie detector. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, because they said basically she'd asked him for it. He said, sure, just call me here when you want it. But when she called, he was on tour somewhere. So they think that he had, she had someone else do it. At least that's what El Duce said. Yeah, uh, here he says, uh, I told Alan, I mean my friend, I'll let the FBI catch him. That's yeah. just the way it's done. End of story. Hey, 50 grand does a lot of talking. You buy me a beer, I might do some more talking. Yeah. And he joked that he wished that he would have taken it. People claim that that was a, a drunken publicity stunt to try to try to get themselves back into the picture or whatever. But he did pass a lie detector test. And the guy who gave the lie detector test was the same one that gave OJ his. <laughs> Just saying. That's right. Here's some of the problems with the police reports and so forth because there's a lot of them and we don't have time to go through all of them but there's a lot of problems seattle police department got a call it's a missing persons report Mm -hmm. and this was april 4th 1994 by kurt's mother wendy o'connor and they filled it out the problem is it was it was not wendy o'connor but it was courtney love and she admitted later that she was the actual person who called in this report And there's a lot of people that looked at that like, oh, she was planning something. She was trying to set it up, which is possible. But at the same time, you also have to remember that Courtney was crazy. And she already had a reputation with the Seattle Police Department of being Kurt's crazy wife. So it makes sense that if she was going to call in and have them take her seriously, they're going to take the mother more seriously than the crazy wife that's already called them multiple times. And then there was problem number two, and that's, and I referred to this later, there's uh, the, the spokesperson for the Seattle Police Department, and her name was Vinette Tishy. She walked out 
told the press, quote, it was obvious this man is dead from a shotgun wound to the head. And then she added, now there was a suicide note left inside the house. According to this, the, immediate, the press immediately headlines, Kurt Cobain commits suicide. However, she should have never said that. She shouldn't have no. mentioned anything about the note. She shouldn't have mentioned anything about uh, it being a suicide note. This was all a big no-no. She was supposed to go out there and just say, confirm, yes, we found Kurt Cobain. He appears to be deceased. We will get back to you. Yes. So a lot of people wonder why, they, why she did that. Because now all the pressure was on the police department because it, was, it immediately went like wildfire worldwide. We all know that. Oh, yeah. Because it was one of those things. I mean, the second she said it, because like I said, it, it taints the whole investigation. Because now she's already said, here's the conclusion. So every evidence they find from that point forward has to match the conclusion that they came up with already. Right. And a so, lot of the stuff they have can look that way, but at the same time could look another way if you look at it you know, slightly sideways. According to this article, it says three additional police supervisors arrived at the scene taking pictures of the, the scene before the homicide detectives even got there. Murderers staged to look like suicides occur around the country and around the world every year. Patrol officers mm -hmm. aren't trained in homicide or dead body investigations. In most cases, neither are the supervisors. Large cities like Seattle normally train their officers to simply contain the scene until a trained and experienced homicide unit arrives. And that is not what happened there. No, but they had already made this statement to the press before the homicide investigators even got there. Which is a big problem. Yes. That's a big problem. And then people started asking questions, and, and you were there, I was there. SPD got defensive. They, they started getting defensive about people asking and inquiring about this case. Mm -hmm. And so they started putting their, I don't know, their trained people out there. Because like this, the SPD report sees the you see that the shotgun used in the death of Kurt Cobain was not even processed for fingerprints until May 6, 1994, nearly one month after Cobain's body was found. Yeah. So how can you release a statement that, well, yeah, we know this is a suicide when they haven't even fingerprinted the room, the gun, nothing? They didn't even have toxicology reports yet because, I mean, they hadn't even done anything. You know, like you said, they didn't fingerprint the guns the gun till a month later i don't think they fingerprinted the shells three years for, yeah years later it was january 13th 1997 when they finally processed the shell casings mm -hmm. also same report from 97 refers back to the pen that was allegedly used to write the so-called suicide note as having been processed for fingerprints at the same time as the shotgun nearly one month after Cobain's body was found. So they weren't even dusting for prints. No. They just rolled make, in. And did you find anywhere where they dusted for prints on the the note? No. I could not At find all. anything that said they did anything other than the handwriting analysis on the note. They, whether they checked for fingerprints, whether they did anything. Yeah. And then there were some pieces that were uh, destroyed. It says the death certificate indicates that this... Hartshorn released Cobain's body to the funeral home where it was allowed to be cremated.
cremated just six days after he was found prior to receipt of the toxicology report. Yeah. This legally permitted the destruction of evidence in a so-called homicide investigation before the possibility of a closer and more thorough examination. But you know what? Seattle has done that multiple times. Yeah. Not just with Cobain, but in just murder cases that aren't closed yet. They send the body off, it gets cremated, and whoops, that's it. Uh Uh-oh, our bad. So according to other things, there's uh, three points that bring doubt or a possibility of something else. One is the suicide note left at the scene. According to this, once again, there's no evidence whatsoever that the note found at the scene of Kurt's death was a, quote, suicide note. Dr. Hartshorn apparently believes that if he says it's a suicide note, it is. And everybody did determine immediately it was a suicide note. I don't even know if they had read it yet. I think they just saw that there was a note there. Yeah. The weapon's still at the scene. Problem, obviously, with the weapon. A lot of people believe that it was a murder that was staged to look like a suicide. I think there's maybe some validity to that. And then the nature of the injury. According to this, this was a contact shotgun wound to the mouth that required the gun to be against the decedent's chest. This would make it a suicide. However, if you look at the size of the gun, somebody sitting on the floor, that's Cobain's height or anybody's height, actually. The butt of the gun would have to be out at their feet, which would make it impossible for you to reach the trigger. If he was sitting down, yeah. If he was laying down, it's possible, not easy. I did see that, but the problem is is that the way the shell casing ejected from the gun and where it rolled to. And that's the other thing is is the the way that the gun was sitting upside down, the shell casing should have been on the other side. But there's two different theories on that. One, they say either when it fired, the kickback made it flip, but then how would his hand still be on it? That's what I question on that one. Mm-hmm. The other one is they basically say is um, that one of the cops probably knocked it over and then put it back where they thought it was supposed to be. And there's a lot of police officers that they've interviewed that said, yeah, that happens more often than you think. Again. But, I mean, it, there's so many things, and that's the hard part with this. There's so many things that have a plausible kind of explanation that could have happened but no real evidence that it did or didn't. So this is a guy named Tom Grant, and he's a PI, and he has done extensive work on this. He was the one... Well, and he's not just a PI. He's the PI that Courtney hired. Yes. But she paid him, and then he said, I don't want any more money, and he went out on his own because he thought something fishy was up. Because she paid him, and then he decided that she was trying to go a different way than the truth and he wanted to follow the truth not her right and if you want to go he has a great website it's called cobainecase.com cobainecase.com and there's a lot of photos and a lot of the documents it's a great website i'm just going to read his conclusion because i think it's very interesting He says, I have my personal opinion about how and when kurt cobain died along with the short list of those who i believe were involved in causing his death As a private investigator embedded in this case, before Cobain died, as well as having direct involvement for having direct involvement for seven months following his death, 
No one else has witnessed the events and heard the discussions that I have witnessed and heard. So I have to do, so I do have a right to my personal opinion. However, I've never asked anyone to agree with me about the cause of Cobain's death, even though on the surface there appears to be much more evidence indicating homicide rather than suicide. I simply ask everyone with an ounce of common sense to please review this case closely with an open mind considering all the material posted above. I believe it proves beyond any reasonable doubt that the investigation into Cobain's death was first botched, then covered up by the Seattle authorities. Without realizing it, the Seattle Police Department exposed more of the real truth behind the 1994 invest investigation into Cobain's death than I'm sure they intended to reveal with this SPD-sanctioned televised interview. And, and there's a video of this interview. They also dug a hole far too deep for the Seattle authorities to climb back out. And what he's wanting is for them to change the cause of death from suicide to undetermined because then you can reopen the case and, and look into it. Yes. So, I mean, we've done sort of a... <laughs> A rush job through that. There's a lot more to it. Oh, there is because the whole idea. Like I don't know if we mentioned the the fact that the the medical examiner was friends with Courtney and was a music producer that had produced Nirvana's one like their third show they ever did. Right. So I mean, he he was part of the scene. Well, but and again, there was a lot of that going on in Seattle at the time. Yeah. But, I mean, Everybody but was involved with somebody on some level uh, in Seattle. Because Seattle, honestly, Seattle wasn't that big. It was a small, big city. Yes. And, and the hard, that's the hard part with this whole case, though, is there's so much of that could be. Yes. There's so much of that weird, like, this is a weird coincidence that could lead to this, that could lead to that. And the SPD did such a horrible job with the evidence that it leads to conspiracy theories and shows like ours exactly what we want. I mean, honestly, I mean, it gives us all these like, hey, think about this for a minute. And it leaves everything open. So in conclusion on this, what are your thoughts having been there, having lived through it, and now revisiting it all these years later? What do you, what do you think happened or what do you think about this case i think it's one of possibly one of two things really i think it's either kurt cobain i think he wrote the note i think the note's him i think it's just he he the end of it is just him completely messed up and be out of his mind the gun part is the part that gets me i think one of two things happened either somehow magically he was able to do it himself or i think he overdosed and Callie or Dylan, one of those two, rather than make it be an overdose, decided to make, make it look like a suicide and put the gun in his mouth. Would be my thoughts. Either it happened the way it did. I don't think this was done maliciously. There is some weird evidence if you look at some of the other stuff with Courtney where it looks like she may have actually tried to like overdose him before this. Yes. But that's you know, some weird stuff there, but Courtney, it's very provable. She wasn't there. So either she hired someone to do it and she actually hired someone to do it. But I think what really happened, I think this was just a case that he went too far and someone saw it. And to cover the fact that, that he went too far, 
they they made the made it look like you know he he tried to shoot himself you know he, he did you know die from suicide um yeah it's very interesting there's way too many questions like how is it that there was three people in that house and multiple times during that and then never found his body and that's the part where i think one or of heard them the had shot with it yeah or heard the shot i mean that's why it makes me think one of them callie is the one that because he's the one that's never been interviewed yeah most likely he he's never involved. been interviewed and that was the nanny because he after he left the note for kurt saying what you know whatever on the stairs that tom and dylan found he walked off to california yeah to go help uh courtney because she'd overdosed again and was in the hospital supposedly i wonder if they ever checked his i looked i couldn't find it if anybody ever checked his bank account or an offshore i could account. not find anything meaning on him he disappeared he just Suddenly, like once he left Seattle after the, leaving that note and the story, he just kind of gone. Right. So I agree with you on a lot of that. First of all, my thoughts on Courtney is I don't think Courtney's bright enough to pull something like this off or together enough or with it enough to maintain the secrecy or no. pay off Callie or somebody would have talked. This is one of those things where you would have made way more money by breaking the truth than you would have by continuing the cover-up, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I think, like you, one of two things happen. Either Cobain, by some miraculous, you know, like how drunk drivers get in a, get in a car accident and don't get hurt, he yeah. could have been so messed up, somehow he pulled it off. Somehow he missed a his way through it. Or I think... Like you said, and my, my personal opinion is that a friend helped him. Yeah. Like he was in such, I don't know, such a mental state and so gone that, and they're all high. They're all whacked out on heroin yeah. that he convinced his friend who, whichever, I don't know whether it was Callie or whether it was Dylan. I don't know who it was, but somebody was there. Because there's no way people didn't hear a gun. I have a 20 gauge. It makes a loud sound. There was yeah. no silencer on this thing. You can't even put one on there. No. And so somebody would have heard something, saw the flash, heard it, whatever. And they, they were around. So somebody helped him or did it at yeah. his request, I believe. Yeah. And... I think Courtney wasn't too sad about it. These are my opinions. I don't think Courtney cared. I think she got what she wanted out of the relationship. I think she thought she was going to go on to be bigger than him. And we all know the disgraceful fall that she has taken. And she's, just, she's an awful human being. Awful. Yes. A horrible human being. But the, I will say this. The Seattle Police Department completely botched it and they could have gotten to the bottom of it but they rushed in made terrible decisions i think they found themselves in a corner and decided to just run with a narrative that they had created and be damned with the truth and anybody else and i say that because seattle has done that before on local cases only to have them reversed years later. 
So having lived there, knowing some of the people, and being semi-involved in the moment. I remember getting chased <laughs> chased off of the, not their property. I was just outside of their gate one day with some friends showing them, hey, this is Kurt Gobain's house. And Courtney sent her goons out to shoo us off. And I was having a conversation with them. And then she leaned out the front door and started screaming at us. So uh, I was there. And there's there from the beginning, there's have been a lot of questions inside the Seattle music community. Now, the interesting thing is, I will say this. Neither of his bandmates have echoed these. And you would think if anybody really wanted to get to the bottom of it and get to the truth of the matter and who knew him as well, if not better than Courtney, it would have been Chris and Dave. And they've all stayed pretty quiet about this since it's happened, which I find kind of odd. They have. Um, and anything I saw from them, pretty much they agree that it's that they, they don't. I don't know if it's really agree, but they don't argue the uh, the suicide. No, and I think they also, I've, read several interviews with them and heard interviews, especially with Chris saying he knew the end was coming for, for them as a band. He knew yeah. Cobain was done. He didn't want to tour. He didn't want to record anymore. He was, um, how do I say it? He was, he loved his fans, but he was a, he, he was an introvert, major introvert. Yeah. He was uncomfortable, he, very uncomfortable very with much. all the attention. Very much so. He was very uncomfortable, and a lot of people don't. And you can see that in some of the interviews and stuff. He doesn't like. He didn't like being out in the public. He didn't like being in the public eye. He loved his music. He loved making the music. He loved his fans, but he hated interviews. He hated being in the public eye. And he, yeah, there's. I've read stuff from Dave Grohl too, said that they were in the throes of you know basically breaking up the band. Yeah, that they were done. And I mean, would he've gone solo or done something? So I don't think so. I think he would have just. I like think he, he would have faded away. Faded away. So. Which is what he didn't want. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Yeah. Uh, Neil Young was so excited to find out that he had quoted him. Yeah. But um, anyway, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Were you a big Nirvana fan? Did you follow the Cobain case at all? Where were we, where were we right? Where are we wrong? What did we miss? Uh, I know it goes way deeper, and we just we only had time enough to – to cover the basics and, and kind of the um, conspiracies around it. You probably have a different conclusion and that's fine as well, because honestly, I don't think we're ever going to get to know the actual truth. No, I think that this is going to be, you know, that this is our generation's JFK. He, uh, very good. And with that, we'll close it out. You have the midweek. I do. And uh, so we'll look forward to that. And we'll be back next Sunday. In the meantime, everybody have a great week. Email is downtherh at protonmail.com. Downtherh at protonmail.com. Tell us what you think about Cobain and this topic. I'm Big D. I'm Brandon. We're out of here. See you later.